Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of At the Devil's Ball, the podcast where we talk about horror and genre films in a positive and constructive manner. We are continuing our Eat the Rich month. Right. With uh, it's, it, it's Eat the Rich because fuck capitalism just doesn't look good on a card. Right, right. Well, Eat the Rich is clever. Right. You know, and I mean, we're both old enough to remember like the Aerosmith like album or whatever, you know. Was it was it named Eat the Rich or was it just a song called Eat the Rich? Uh it was a song by uh, Motorhead called Eat the Rich. Oh there was yeah, there was that too. Right. Yeah. I don't I don't know about Aerosmith. You don't know about the Aerosmith album? Oh no. okay. I thought I thought that's where it predominantly came from. I guess probably it was Motorhead. But yeah, no, uh, I think it was the, the name of the album. Aerosmith right. did it. It was like this huge album when I was like like 11 it or sounds, 12. Sounds familiar. Yeah. They had like four or five number one hits on it. There was Aerosmith's like comeback record in like 94 or whatever it was. They were like living on the edge and the one with uh, Alicia Silverstone. Right. Uh, with the video there. Alicia Silverstone. I guess it was a, I guess it was a song on the album. Uh, Get a Grip. Get a Grip. Okay. Yep. So there was a song called Eat the Rich on Get right. a Grip. Okay. Um. Yeah. All right. All we've right. already anyway. diverted. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Well, anyway, my name is Nathaniel. And I'm Samuel. And uh, Sam, what did you watch this week? Anything? Uh, I watched, I started watching uh, Chucky. Okay. How's that? Uh, I actually haven't seen that. Uh, It's pretty good. Um, I think, uh, I, I don't know if it's, you know, I'm only about halfway through, so I don't know how it's going to turn out as a whole. Mm-hmm. But you can definitely feel that they're stretching it a little bit for TV. Okay. Um, which is, you know, a common complaint I have. Sure. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's Chucky, you know, it's, it's right. fun. Um, they, they try to have a kill every, every episode, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. How about you? Uh, well, I didn't watch much. Um, excuse me. I watched, um, I was actually going to kind of plug uh riff tracks this week. Um, mm-hmm. uh, last weekend. Uh, they released um a riff of Nightwish, which is a uh, horror film I saw a couple years ago on Amazon Prime. It was perfect for that sort of flipping through at two a.m. kind of thing. It's a dumbass movie, um, but it's um it's so much fun to watch. And then I, I was so excited when the riff track when they were gonna do it. I watched it. It's pretty good. It's a pretty good one. Right. Um. But uh, I think in terms of films, did I watch something this week? I feel like I watched something, what, but I don't. What is Nightwish about? Nightwish is um, what isn't Nightwish about? Uh, it's sort <laughs> of like it's um, a group of people they're doing like a, a film with a couple of character actors you'd recognize, like um, the guy from Fright Night Two who eats the bugs is in it. Uh, one of the girls from Friday the Thirteenth Part seven is in it i think uh it's a bunch of people that you probably recognize um and uh they're basically college students or grad students and they go to a haunted house to do experiments on the paranormal but it involves their other project which is trying to like map out dreams and like Mm -hmm. understand dreams these two things are not connected at all but the movie uh the movie attempts it and uh, right. it goes into these crazy ass places and uh, doesn't make an awful lot of sense. Um, it's it's an absolutely ridiculous movie, but it's actually a lot of fun. And <laughs> um, 
it's the it's the type of thing you and I would dig. You know, right. it's that kind of movie, and it's the type of thing Rift Tracks does has a great really time well. with. Yeah, because yeah. um, Riff Tracks obviously, you know, if a movie is too bad, it sometimes doesn't work. Right. If a movie's too good, it doesn't work. But when you have something like Nightwish, where it's like this is the fun kind of bad. Right. Uh, like, cause I'm with actually with Kevin Murphy who said, there's no such thing as a good, bad movie. It's still a bad movie. Right. Uh, but that doesn't mean you can't enjoy it. Uh, you know, Nightwish is that kind of film. So I, uh, I really dug that. Uh, they just released top goblins too, but I haven't watched that one yet. Um, and I'm excited to get to that, but, um, I've never seen Hobgoblins too. So nor, nor have I. No. Okay. No. I mean, obviously Hobgoblins is one of their most famous Right. You know, Mystery Science Theater episodes. So, but it's funny because actually I remember Rick Sloan talking about how he had tried to pitch them Hobgoblins 2 for years and they wouldn't mm-hmm. touch it. So I'm a little bit worried they're going to like retire soon. And right. like that's why they're getting to some of these things. So, like, oh, yeah, Hobgoblins 2. Right. Like, but uh, I hope not, you know, knock on yeah. wood. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think uh, they're not getting any younger. No. And um, if you've seen any of their live shows recently, you can see it happening like they're getting right. older and older and older um very quickly but uh but yeah i mean i, I obviously recommend uh, checking that out to anybody who's listening riff tracks is always a good time especially their horror outings um right. and uh actually just finished watching uh just uh, had taurus trap on it's an oldie nice an oldie yeah. but goodie but it's a it's a really good riff tracks and uh right and it's a fun movie yeah um and the riff tracks just enhances it with uh, making jokes about it it's very very funny but but yeah, that's kind of what I was going to plug this week was sort of like, I was like, yeah, Rift Tracks. I, I, there is something else that I forget that I, I feel like mm-hmm. I watched and I just don't remember now. But I haven't watched much because I've been busy with work. So, right. Um, you know, when I get home, I'm actually tired for once. So I don't like, I just end up throwing Rift Tracks on because I haven't, don't right. have the right. energy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just don't have the energy to engage with anything. I have this list of shit I want to watch. But, right. But yeah, um, yeah, that's kind of what I watched this week. Um, so yeah, check, check out uh, Chucky and Rift Tracks. Um, and also for uh, not to oversell Rift Tracks, but mm-hmm. also like if you want to give Rift Tracks a try, listener, they are they have a whole bunch of them on Tubi, yeah, uh, for free. Um, and Pluto, Pluto's and Pluto's channel. got a bunch yep. of them too. Yeah. So if you're interested in giving movie riffing a try, Tubi has uh, a ton of that. Plus old mystery science theater. Right. Um, you can watch free with that. So, um, and then if you like it, go buy something. Cause that's the only way they keep existing. Uh, right. they're a small business. So, um, that reminds me, I actually have to turn my friends back on, even though I don't need it for anything, mm-hmm. but I like to have right. the friends thing just to give them my five dollars a month right you know what i mean yeah but and yeah sam anytime i know you don't keep up on the new ones but you obviously you can have my login anytime right right you want to watch new ones so yeah um i keep up on it so i've got like everything they've released right um but i i keep up on the friends thing usually like that's like when yeah. they release something to friends so that's when i watch it right right yeah i think they've started actually at uh mentioning it on social media what they're putting putting up right so, every once in a while so uh because it does kind of alternate but go watch rift tracks yes um but uh our movie this week is they live uh which was what year sam that was 1988 1988 um 
And uh, obviously, it's a John Carpenter film, uh, and uh, it's uh, in line with our theme pretty heavily of yes. uh, anti-capitalist, uh, eat the rich type of narrative. Um, and uh, we'll get into that. But first, Sam's got the vitals. Yep. All right. So um, They Live was released uh, November 4th, 1988. Directed by John Carpenter, as we said, written by John Carpenter, uh, based on the short story Eight O'Clock in the Morning by Ray Nelson. Um, and as far as cast, we have uh, Nada, played by Roddy Piper, Frank, played by Keith David, Holly, played by Meg Foster, uh, Rifter, played by George Buckflower, uh, Gilbert, played by Peter Jason. And uh, Street Preacher, played by Raymond St. Jacques. Uh, special shout-outs go to Jeff Imada, who was the stud coordinator and also played most of the ghouls. Yeah. And uh, Jim Danforth, who did the matte paintings. Yeah, I didn't even know there were matte paintings in this movie until I rewatched the commentary track. And then right. uh, they, John Carpenter was pointing out like all those scenes in which you see like Obey yeah, I thought they were all... It, I thought there were bottles, you know. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, nope, they're all matte paintings, uh, right. which is extraordinary. Um, yeah. And obviously, we'll talk about that audio commentary because it's right. almost as entertaining. <laughs> it was the film is, if not more so. Right. Um, but uh, it's funny, actually, the commentary track, because I I remembered it being different than it actually is. I remembered it being like totally unhinged, but Piper's actually kind of charming. Yeah. You know, yeah, he's, and he's actually really complimentary and very, very nice. I just remembered him being like crackpot as hell in it, but no, it's not he, that and bad. And he is, but yes. it's just not the whole time. Like, yeah, it's, I feel like he had a minder who like poked him in the ribs whenever he started getting off track. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Enough. And I remember that we had Carpenter getting more, um, uh, more uncomfortable with it, but actually, Carpenter right. seems mostly delighted most yeah, of the time yeah. that like even when piper is going crazy like john carpenter's like really roddy tell me about that like <laughs> right he's absolutely delighted that this band's like going off off the rails at right. all points but yeah um but yeah roddy piper mm -hmm. i actually had meant to watch a couple of his old matches just uh to get into the spirit of this thing and i kind of forgot um a fascinating fellow yeah. Um, but yeah, his unhinged commentary is ostensibly um, one part just him and one part the cocaine that he did <laughs> right. a considerable amount of in the uh, 1980s. In fact, there's a joke about that in the commentary where like Carpenter's like, "You didn't share any of your drugs with me. Like, what is that? You know?" And yeah. I was like, "Oh, I had a bunch of them." You know. <laughs> like, you know? <laughs> but uh, but yeah, obviously the plot of the film is very very anti-capitalistic um it is about um using a metaphor of a uh alien race um has is just sort of gentrifying our world and right. um and at the expense of the poor and mm -hmm. um and the only way to kind of get ahead is to uh join obey up with them yeah or join up with them yeah and um and it's just uh it's obviously like you know uh very consumerist as a film right um but actually i i was telling you before we started recording this so i'm gonna just, just gonna bring it up now mm -hmm. um like uh, uh i was just looking at the tv tropes page 
of they live the trivia part of it anyway and uh it's kind of says that they're you know obviously like racists um like to try to appropriate this movie right. as an allegory for as they claim it's an allegory for jewish conspiracies you know right um uh eventually carpenter got sick of it and went mm-hmm. on twitter and told them all off uh with the quote uh they live is about yuppies and unrestrained capitalism and has nothing to do with Jewish control of the world, which is slander and a lie. Um, because God bless you, John Carpenter. Right. Um, and um, obviously, John Carpenter, much like Romero last week, is a filmmaker who's very interested in this uh, theme, uh, mm-hmm. likes to talk a lot about, you know, his bad guys are usually the rich or powerful. Um and our good guys are everyman in John Carpenter films. Uh, are there any exem- ex- any exceptions to that? Can you think of? No, I... I'm trying to think of now. It was like there was a movie with like one of those movies where like somebody was affluent. In case like it was even like Village of the Damned is like a school teacher is the hero. Right. Um, but yeah, generally, I mean, like his heroes, like you know, you know, Kurt Russell in general right. is always everyman you know yeah like truck driver helicopter pilot they, they're played as the everyman you know yeah like, i mean you know yeah yeah i can't think of any that any outliers but um i don't really remember the ward yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, unless there's i think that was a woman yes and we probably should there. both we probably should both rewatch the ward because I feel like right. we don't, I, I, I almost feel like I'm almost certain we're not, but I almost feel like we're not giving that a fair shake, but I'm sure we right. are. But, um, but I mean, I keep kind of, uh, the, it's come up in conversation a couple of times in the last few weeks, uh, mm-hmm. either between here or invasion right. of the podcast, our, our friends, uh, friend Paul and Steve. And I've just, I've realized I've mentioned it like four times in the last like couple of weeks and always right. it's been derogatory. And I'm like, I wonder if I should watch that movie again and find out if it's as bad as I remember, but I'm sure right. it is. But I kind of feel badly kind of being I remember like, thinking it was okay. Yeah. Not yeah. not good. Not yeah. but just like, you know, kind of okay. Didn't that have like a like imaginary friend twist at the end of the war or something? I yeah. honestly can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, so they live. Um is very much a story about the everyman right. versus the establishment. And right. I think it's fun that um you know there's they live as one of those movies like like such as 1984 and I'm being attacked by my dog. So, Oh yeah. If you can, if you can see it uh, can or see hear it. it. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. She went away. Okay. <laughs> she just wanted to say hello. Mm-hmm. Give me a little love. Yeah. But Liz, they live like 1984 where everybody's like, you know, well, thinking that, you know, we're turning into that, into this, society it's like well actually we've been this society we've been this society quite a while but i mean i think that we've become more and more this society since the film came out because you know back then it was you know i don't know four percent of people owed 98 percent of the wealth and now it's like you know two percent yeah or one percent or one person yeah or you know there's there's three companies behind everything you know yeah Yeah. go to the grocery store there's like three companies that make all the food and there's you know there's three companies that make cars and there's you know i was giving that uh giving that education to um uh the the theater i work for as a Mm -hmm. uh that i manage has a um 
an organist. It's his right. official job. And he's, uh, he's, I'm not sure exactly how old he is, but he's old enough to be mm-hmm. like, you know, mentioning, you know, uh, I, I can't even think of it off the top of my head, but Doris Day, you know, right. like, uh, you know, like what about that movie that came out like, you know, 10 years ago? And like, yeah, that was 50 years ago, Jerry. Right. Sure. Um, but yeah, no, he, but he was like, whereas you know, we're young people and we only do that with 30 right. year old movies, 30 year old movies. But yeah, he right. was, he's talking about movies that were made like in a long time ago. Right. But he, um, he apparently did not know that because he's like, he know, knew enough to know that a lot of companies had bought it. But I pretty much went down and said, like, basically every movie that we see in theaters is other than like the really independent stuff. Right. Is owned by one of four companies. Right. And I'm like, it's basically it's and I and he was like, what about MGM? They're still there. And I'm like, no, they were bought by Amazon. Right. And he's like, oh, my God. And I'm like, yeah, it's all it's basically Disney, Amazon, uh, right. Sony. Uh, Sony, Time Warner. Right. Um, if they're even Time Warner anymore or whatever they're called. Uh, now. But yeah, yeah, whatever they are. But Time Warner might be part of it. Um, right. But yeah. And I was like, and then maybe um, what's the other one? Uh, uh, Universal. Right. And I was like, it's basically five companies and they're all either owned by somebody else. And chances are, if you've dug deep enough into Universal, you probably find out it's owned by like, you know, Rupert Murdoch or something, right. you know, by far enough down the line. But um but yeah, he just didn't, he just was like, just kind of completely blown away by it. I'm like, it's basically like five corporations on everything. Right. And that's all there is to it. Um, there's all these subsidiaries and shell companies, but it all boils down yep. to, there's basically like five guys out there who own every piece of media we, uh, right. we consume. And uh, it's, and so when you watch They Live, you're kind of like, yeah. Yeah. You know, this is, this is yeah. the scans. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, not to the point of like Roddy Piper, right. like claiming that it, um, this is real. Like, you know, like, right. well, uh, Roddy, I don't think there's actually any kids. He goes off in the commentary about like some conspiracy theory about like, you know, manipulation of brain waves. Right. To make, make a woman, special, a woman bought all the stuff. Special television. Have a dog. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, Roddy, I don't think that's true, pal. Right. But, um, but yes, uh, other than that, I think that metaphorically it's true. It's definitely right. a true movie in the sense that we are how we're we're susceptible to advertising and to media, and how right. the one percent manages to keep taking our money. Right. I mean, um, even the movie itself is smart enough to say that you know, oh, we all sell out every day. You know, yeah. In some way or another, we, yeah, because yeah. we have to just survive. You know, it's yeah. Just the way of the world, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, otherwise we'd all go live in log cabins or whatever, but right. then you wouldn't have anything. It's, yeah, yeah. Die of diphtheria, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, you and I both, I mean, we there's an irony to the whole thing of like we're a movie podcast. Mm-hmm. We talk about movies. Right. We own movies. We go yes. see movies. We pay money for these things. Right. So, I mean, right now we're using Zoom. Yep. Um, I pay for that every month. And then right. some somebody's getting rich off that. Yep. Um, and we're using the internet, which is, you know, one of the big telecom companies. Yeah. Spectrum's taking my money right now. Right. It's I got AT&T, you know? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, and it's actually telling my cell phone company that I use, I, I switched to, um, Ryan Reynolds company, mm-hmm. whatever, but his entire selling point was ostensibly like, I'm just offering it cheaper than anybody else. And I went and sold. Right. Um, but, um, but it's still a cell phone company. And yeah. I'm still like, well, I'm giving that money to Ryan Reynolds or whoever the hell else right. he owns it with. 
um, Twitter, you know, we, we advertise yeah. the show pretty heavily through Twitter and that's owned by right. the worst man in the world. Um, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, there's all of that. I mean, we've, we've talked about this before, like Spotify, where we were like, well, Spotify sucks, but right. that's where people listen to our podcast is Spotify. Like we're kind of beholden yeah. to them for a platform. So, yeah, I mean, we all do it. Um, and we all do it pretty much knowing it's like what we've talked about before. I think we talked about a little bit at the beginning of the episode last week about how, like, Mm -hmm. um, obviously the Super Bowl aired last night, I guess. Right. Um, did you watch it? I did not watch it. Yeah. I didn't think you watched, you don't, I didn't know if you were like went to Paul and Steve's or something and watched football. No, no. Um, but, um, there were trailers for like the flash coming out with Ezra Miller and Ezra Miller is awful. Like Ezra Miller is a complete nut job. Like, you know, um, and people were kind of like, well, I'm going to go see it because Michael Keaton's in it being Batman again. And I'm like, but that's, that's the thing is that everybody wants to, yeah. But I'm like, everybody wants to boycott the film because Ezra Miller is terrible, but we're like, well, I'm going to go see Michael Keaton as Batman. Like, how can I not, go see that and, movie and that universe is terrible too to, yeah. in a different way um mm. you know it's still part of the i always said joss whedon for some reason well he's bad too <laughs> yeah. yeah he's bad but uh yeah. Zack snyder <clears throat> yeah although supposedly the idea behind the only reason why that movie is even going forward i think is because james gunn's like Just this is how we reset yeah right yeah yeah because they're doing uh, flashpoint or whatever yeah yeah uh, a dumb dumb story but um but it will do the trick in the right. sense that it will provide a clean slate for james gunn to be like all right now we can do whatever we want to do but my point being that outrage will only go so far in the name of unchecked capitalism right and um and it's because you have to make the choice of what you want to be a part of and oftentimes right. the way they get you to get past that is uh Boy, I really want to see that movie, right? You know, or or this um, there's the whole whole discussion now on the uh, Harry Potter, the, yeah, the wizard yeah. game, yeah. you know, yeah, and you know, people are debating whether or not they should be allowed to play it. You know, it's yeah. like, well, you can decide. You're an adult. You can decide, you can decide for decide yourself. That. Yeah, right. You know, I might judge you for it, but I'm just I'm just me. I'm not a big corporation, and right. um, but. You know, there was a boycott. There's a boycott on it from some people. And, you know, it didn't make a damn bit of difference in how much money it made. No. You know, it, it never made was. All, made yeah. all the money, right? Totally. And that's the thing is to be like, you know, and you can have that conversation uh, right. until you're blue in the face. But ultimately, yeah. what's going to come down to is what you want as a consumer is still going right. to probably win out over your ethics. Yeah. And, and uh, the thing is, is that I, you, you have to take the good with the bad with that. Right. Um, but it's very much what they live is talking about where, you right. know, we have the character who the homeless guy who shows up at the end, who's wealthy now. And it's like, oh yeah, I joined the bad guys. Right. You no. Know, um, guess what? I don't think they're bad guys because now I'm rich. So it's okay right. now. But, um, but for Nada, you know, that's not an acceptable uh, right. way to go. Now, I think at the same time, it, uh, I think there is a difference between, you know, choosing to go see The Flash and willingly selling out your fellow man 
to join. Yeah, there's a big difference. Yeah, the evil the slave control media power. Right. Um, you know, it's it's, and also, I mean, with with the our with general media consumption, you can make it. I mean, for example, like, you know, I work for a movie theater, so right. if it's like you know, but you're helping me out if you go see a movie at that theater. You right. know, that's where I get paid. Uh, you know, and yeah, at the end of the day, the guy that I work for is the one who's really making the money, but he's paying right. me. Right. So I want the theater to stay open. So please come see the flash. Right. If you're in St. Louis, come to my theater and see, and see the flash. Right. Um, does that make me feel good about myself? No, but I'm like, but I'm like, please come see the flash, I guess. Because but you can live with it. Yeah. I can live with it. Right. That's exactly the point. Yeah. I can live with it. Um, because at the end of the day, I'm not actually, I don't think it's actually really hurting anybody. Right. Um, versus the aliens and they live. I mean, I, I spent years selling burgers for a cloud, you know, I mean, you did. And did. You know, if you can live with that, you know, <laughs> yeah, we can, what can you live with? Ladies and gentlemen? Yeah. That's the, uh, that's the ethics of uh, now I work for socialists. So, you know, right. right. Yeah. I work for the school system. So that's like a, a socialist uh Listen. yeah kind of yeah yeah. yeah i mean yeah you're working in public works um right. but it, it but you know government funded yep. but um taxpayer money but is the school system you work for a decent or are they like you know trying to kill yeah. trans kids no they're 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 one of the good they're ones. actually good okay yeah and great more power to you um but yeah um all of this is relevant um right you know, because it is relevant to they live. Um, and, um, you know, obviously Sam and I aren't going to have a particularly good debate on this subject because we're on the same side. But, right. um, you know, it's, uh, but yeah, the the ethical implications of media consumption, uh, you go take a philosophy class and you'll hear all sides right. of it. But um, oh, not the devil's ball. We're just going to say it's kind of bad. And, right. um, but we live with it. And yeah. it's, uh how we do things and uh because if we didn't we wouldn't have this podcast so right. i do think it's interesting and this is something i was thinking about mm -hmm. um i watched uh, i did watch alien again this week um and i was thinking about um james cameron right and i was like it's funny you know and i've said this before that i think it's funny that james cameron like made titanic which if you watch titanic that movie is highly critical of classism Right. And social stratus is uh, the social strata. However, James Cameron is an unabashed capitalist. Right. Uh, he is worth more than we'll ever be. Probably you and I and our entire audience combined will never see as much money as James Cameron has had right. when Titanic came out. Um, so it's always kind of funny. There's a level of hypocrisy with mm -hmm. James Cameron. John Carpenter, there isn't. It's right. uh, you know, the carpenter. He's probably doing pretty well. I mean, yeah. he's probably a millionaire. But well, I mean, in the in the um, interview portion of the DVD of the Blu-ray that I just watched, like even he said, you know, I I am a capitalist. You know, I I've made my money. Mm -hmm. Um, but this is about you know, unchecked capitalism. Right. You know, he's he's aware enough to know that he's part of the system that he that he's you know talking out against i guess yeah. what I'm he's using yeah i mean he's using he's still using the system to make art and right. to to express himself 
Uh, also, they mentioned on the commentary track, uh, Roddy Piper mentions it, mm-hmm. that um, they needed homeless people. They needed extras right. to play homeless people. So John Carver just went out and found homeless people right. and gave them a paycheck, gave them meals. And that's, you know, how it probably yeah. should be. Right. Uh, you know, he needed homeless people. So he went and paid homeless people to, to you know, right. act as homeless people. Um, that, yeah. But the thing is that Carpenter um, has always been the type of guy to to talk trash about the system he's a part of and, right. and manages to maintain Romero, the same, um, you know, they were never, I mean, they're both, I mean, I think Romero did pretty well. Yeah. But for himself, but, right. um, but yeah, I mean, obviously not as much as he could have because of the old night of living dead, uh, right. You know, uh, right. stuff where he, he, that he should have made millions of dollars on that movie alone. And he yeah. didn't because of some poor copyright. Right. Um, but but him well, they, and John Carpenter are, are are quite the same in in that, you know, they they had these prolific careers um, as far as with their with their fan base, but you know, mm-hmm. they they never had you know that much um, general audience success, right? You know, I think that's what you're trying to get at. Yeah, well, yeah, that and yeah, and and like and just that there's there's that that level of hypocrisy that say James Cameron has is not a is not there with right. Carpenter. Like he's just, they live feels very honest uh, in, yeah. a, in a sense that Carpenter actually believes in this. And, um, right. and whereas Cameron's like, well, I'm going to make this movie that's actually very much about like, you know, a very uh, in, uh, uh, historically accurate right. example of what happens when the rich are kind of controlling everything and you get poor people, you know, drowning right. in the Titanic. Well, because, you know, the rich people didn't want to sit next to them in lifeboats. Um, you know, uh, really disgusting shit that you realize uh, is not any different now. Um, no. You know, um, but Cameron being like, oh, yeah, I made this piece that's you know making these th- claims while he's literally got millions and millions and millions right. of dollars. And uh, versus Carpenter, who is like, you know, he's still the working class in terms of successful filmmaker he's still right. working class um yeah you know sure. uh and so that, that that is very much what they live is to me it's a very working class movie i don't right. think it's one of his best are you a big fan of they live i am a huge fan of they live okay. i don't i don't know if it's i'd rate it as one of his best because because his career highs are so high mm-hmm. um but if a lesser filmmaker this would have probably would have been their best film um, yeah okay yeah i can track that yeah to me, like if somebody, a lesser filmmaker, like made They Live, it would be almost like this would be the magnum opus. But in, right, but in, in comparison work. to Carpenter, it's right. a little bit lower. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, the, I think this is the perfect movie for him to have rounded out the eighties. Yeah. Um, this was his last film of the nineteen eighties, and I think it shows it's kind of a culmination of his frustration with the decade. Yeah. Yeah. In the commentary, he specifically mentions it's a response to Reagan. economics um and uh you know it has that really powerful monologue of uh, keith david you know kind of talking about his experience with the um uh what was he working for an automotive steel mills steel mill yeah Mm -hmm. and uh, talking about they got the government bailout and they gave themselves raises and fired the rest of us right Um, yeah the union cut him a break and that's they used it to give themselves raises you know yeah yeah and then he said uh you know and then he says the golden rule you as the gold, 
makes the rules. Right. Um, which I hope is the card quote. I don't know. But um, oh, that or the obvious ones. I don't know what uh, you're going to put on the card this week. But we'll talk about the obvious ones. But um, in service of our anti-capitalist uh, right. you know, conversation here at the start, uh, there's something about Keith David's. Uh, it's a, still a brief monologue and it doesn't get too right. speechy, but it makes its point brilliantly. And yeah. again, nothing's changed. Right. And and, he's got he's got a family and a wife, you know, back at home. Yep. But he came out here to try to, you know, make a living. Make a living. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he's just uh but it's just a powerful uh concept that just hasn't changed. So much of this movie yeah. hasn't changed. Right. Um, and they talk about that on the commentary track, which I think was recorded like 15 years ago, and they're like, Yep, things haven't changed. Right. Um but if anything, yeah. they've gotten worse. You they've know, gotten more, worse. More yeah. steel plants have shut down. More manufacturing has shut down since then. You know, yeah. um, my dad was a steel worker um, in the seventies and early eighties. You know, and he got downsized then. And yeah, Cleveland was Cleveland's was a big steel town. Now there's like you know one steel mill left in Cleveland, and it's you know barely holding on. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you didn't even look at you know years later, we'd have the dot com right bubble. And then that kind of bursts, and you get people laid off, and there, there's still massive layoffs. I mean, how many people have Elon, has Elon Musk laid off lately right. on Twitter? You know, like you see, I've seen it everywhere, and, and it's it's affect almost anybody anybody who's listening to this. It's affecting someone you know, right? Yeah. Like without a doubt, like someone you know is being is being laid off, like as we speak, right? And right. it's um, and it's it's and they're just a number. Yeah. To these corporations that are like, well, I'm laying off 20,000 people and like, you know, just the staggering math on that. Right. Yeah. Uh, like my father-in-law, you know, the last 20 years that he worked before he retired and he retired because of being laid off. Yeah. Um, the last 20 years he worked, he's, he spent going from company to company, get laid off, you know, and he'd go work for a company for a couple of years. They'd shut down, you know, yeah. and he was, he was in manufacturing, you know, his whole life. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, yeah, so, I mean, it obviously hasn't changed. Uh, no. You know, the difference is we're not. Um, we're going the, I think the difference between like then and now is then there was, you know, these construction crews that, you know, now right. it's like, you know, I mean, again, not to not to slam you, but like you got Mickey mm-hmm. D's. Right. You know, like, you know, you desperately need to make a living. Yep. That's who's hiring um exactly you you got people with master's degrees who are uh you know have no choice but to uh take a fast food job for minimum wage and try to hold on yeah and and, you know whenever you get somebody there who was like good at you know the job like you you'd be torn yourself because you're like you know i want you to stay because you're a good worker but i also want you to get the hell out of here get the hell out of here (laughs) right yeah yeah i remember i did work for mcdonald's once when i was 19 And um, I had uh, I just needed a job. Someone got one. Right. And the first day uh, I had three different employees, uh, I think one manager and two other regular employees asking me what my story was, because mm-hmm. I seemed too educated to be there. Right. And it was uh, difficult. It didn't make me want to stay, uh, right. you know, because it was sort of like, you know, you're right. Um, but it's. And again, that's not to to talk shit about 
McDonald's right. workers because that's hard fucking work. Yeah. It's absolutely. Oh, and that's the other reason why I didn't stay long was because it was right. the hardest damn job I've ever worked. Right. Um, forget about it. I've hands down. I've never worked a harder job. Um, and, right. uh, I was only there for like maybe a month and it was the hardest, most demanding, uh, degrading, right. difficult work. You go home, yeah. yeah. You go home and you smell of French fry oil. Everything hurts. Mm -hmm. uh you know and and you're in your you're kind of your uniform you're filthy and right. you just you know look at yourself in the mirror and be like just keep going need that right. paycheck uh you get yelled at all day yep you know i mean like the the you know and it's it's the, again that whole kind of capitalist fever of you know the the consumer looks down on them right so they they shit on the fast food worker, and I think I just saw a viral video today of some guy who's flipping out at somebody at a Wendy's, and I'm like, right. that person's just making a living, yeah. But you're you're gonna look down on them, you know? They're not good enough right. to do other things. But I'm like, no, that person probably has a master's degree, right? You know, I've never I've never understood this kind of people who could start a fight over a fucking cheeseburger. You it's know, a cheeseburger, it's just, right? Yeah, right. It's 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 a and it's a homogenized cheeseburger. It's the right. same cheeseburger as any other McDonald's in the entire world. Right. Um, and yeah, you didn't get your ketchup on it or whatever. So your yeah. response is, and they'll just give you another one. I mean, like you know, right, but you're yeah. gonna start yelling and screaming and calling them names, and it's like it's a it's a cheeseburger. Right. Um. Yeah. I mean, if, and look, I've been annoyed by it. You know, I've done DoorDash yeah. for Burger King, and they put mayo on it. I'm like, I hate mayo, right. but you know what I do. Scrape the mail off. off, right? You know, I don't call them up and be like, "What's wrong with you, idiots?" It's like, well, no, okay, yeah, you want to just have to wipe it off with a napkin. I okay. couldn't tell you the amount of times I've picked up the phone there, and you know, like, there's not even like a hello. It's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, like, yeah. well, I'm, I'm working here for starters, right? <laughs> right. Can I yeah. help you? Yeah, yeah. What can I do for you? Because yeah, right. you're at this point where I'm not going to give you much of anything because you're right. a shithead. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, that's the world of they live, you know, it is the yep. it's uh, it's about the people that are invisible to society. It's about, right. um, you know, Nada, of course, his name, mm -hmm. uh, you know, his course means nothing, you know, right. John, John, Nada, John, nothing. Right. And they don't uh, even call him. I don't think they call him anything in the movie either. I, mean, I don't think his name just, is ever actually just, stated. Yeah. No. Yeah, he and Keith David, they don't seem to exchange names. They just right. start talking. Um and uh it's such a and it's such a fascinating film. We should probably talk about the film. Yeah, rather maybe than actually yeah. get into that. So I was trying to make that segue and then we got <laughs> we got tied right. off, but I was like I was, I was asking you about whether or not what you thought of the film. So right. tell me more about why it's um because you, you made that statement of that it it would be for a lesser filmmaker it would be like the greatest right. film they ever made. Talk to me more about why you think that. Like, what what about well, this I mean, film I, uh, I, works for you so heavily? I, I think just the timeless message of it. Um, you know, he could have made this in the mid seventies. He could have made this what he did in the in nineteen ninety, or he could have made it last year and still would be equally valid of a of a film. Um, and its observations would be equally like you know potent. I think in any of those mm -hmm. time periods, um, you know, for uh, a filmmaker to be that prescient or at least that honest about mm -hmm. how they see the world not something you see very often with you know other filmmakers um it's really 
you know, just like we said, John Carpenter, George Romero are kind of the same kind of way mm-hmm. where they're kind of, you know, every men themselves and aren't afraid to say that. Yeah. Um, plus, I think it's just a really well-made film. It's just a lot of fun. It's got a lot of action. Um, mm-hmm. It's got a good sci-fi hook. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think if, like, this was a nobody filmmaker and you know who didn't make you know halloween and 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 the thing yeah <laughs> um, right this would this would probably be like far and away their best film okay i think it's uh, i think it has a little bit of a second act problem but um it, yeah it does but i mean i i think it's a it's a it's a hell of a fun film Right. Um, I think it, it. I think it has a really strong first act, and I think it has actually a pretty strong third act. Right. But it's not among my favorite Carpenter. Um, but um, much like Craven, to a degree, I find right. Carpenter to be a little hit or miss in the yeah. long run. Um, right. The highs are incredibly this, high. I would put this as maybe his fourth or fifth best film. Okay, after Halloween and Halloween, the, thing. the Apocalypse trilogy. Halloween, the thing, um, in the mouth of madness, and then maybe this. Okay, do you like this better than Big Big Trouble in Little China? No, probably. Maybe I put it after Big Trouble in Little China. Some number five. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think I probably would ultimately put it up, you know, and definitely in the top half. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there are things about this that work uh, very, very well. Keith David being chief among them. Um, right. I'll watch that man do anything. Uh, oh, for sure. phenom- phenomenal actor um and uh i was over- i was actually really excited when he ended up on community for a season and i was just like where, where did keith david come from but okay like let's do it was um, he i i don't remember that he was in the last season yeah the the yahoo season oh see, the, I, didn't uh, watch this. I didn't see that season that's what oh you yeah. should watch that season that's really yeah. good but um oh yeah he he plays the the new replacement for he replaces um hickey Okay. Uh, uh, as like the older guy on the group, right? Um, and he, uh, but yeah, he's was he's great in it, um, playing a very uh goofy kind of character, but he's right. Keith David's game. So yeah, um, and of course Keith David had actually been on the show prior, doing voiceovers in their Ken Burns documentary spoof <laughs> episode, and right, um. But yeah, I mean, this man's been around and done work with everybody and done every movie, you know, known to man. And he's just uh, he's just a phenomenal actor. Right. And he he manages to really hold his own in this picture um, with a, a small with. Well, first of all, I don't know if this movie has large roles because there's no, not a it, lot of character going on. I was gonna say, it doesn't have yeah. very many roles. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just basically them two and then you know meg foster and, yeah with two scenes Meg Foster, right with a couple yeah. of scenes and then you know buck buck flowers i think has the next most screen time and he's again in like two scenes you know uh no i was gonna say there's the guy um the paul, paul paul called him uh the the mouth trumpet guy what's his name the mouth trumpet guy yeah he was he's been in everything he was the uh he, he's the leader of the resistance in this movie oh where uh, he gets killed peter, peter jason peter jason yeah. yeah, I was gonna say he probably has more lines than Meg Foster does, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, no, I gotta I gotta memorize his name. Phenomenal character actor, and he did yeah, almost like every sure. movie John Carpenter ever did. Like he right. just appears in it. But, um, 
but yeah, I mean, he's great in this movie with, again, he has nothing really to do. Um, right. But, and he just gets shot and it's, um, but everybody gets shot. Yeah. Like, I'm not even sure. Now, fill me in this because I just watched this movie just the other day, but I still can't right. remember what the hell happens to Keith David's character. Does he die? He I, dies. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, I think he they, does. They but. cut, um, it's a, it's a very, it's a bad death, um, in a cinematic sense. Yeah. Um, because, you know, Meg Foster pulls out a gun and turns, you know, turns on, on them and they just show her put the gun up to her oh, that's right. and then yes. it goes, and then it goes to, to Nada mm. and you hear a gunshot. Gunshot. Okay. Yeah. All right. right. Now, you know, you say that I remember now. Yeah. Right. It's like, you know, dude, the dude didn't deserve to die off screen. You know, I agree. I think, um, honestly, I think that's like a budget thing, you know? Yeah. I was going to say, I think he and Nada going down at the same time actually would have worked better for me. Both right. of them make it up to both the roof. Both of them can give them the finger, you know? Yeah. Both of them get to the roof and right. maybe Nada lasts a few more minutes, but like, right. but yeah, I think that, I think I agree with you on that. I think I definitely would have rather seen him go out. Um, right. Especially because he has more to lose. I mean, in some ways he's the more heroic of the two. Because right. he does have the wife and kid at home, yeah. and uh, he has something to lose, so he's still, you know, he's still giving it his all to try and do the right thing. Right. Whereas we don't really get Nada's motivation other than he's just like, he's just mad. He's just <laughs> mad in general. Yeah. Right. Um, Piper plays a, a, a surprisingly subdued role at, right. at points. Um, which Carpenter praises him for in the commentary mm-hmm. and talks about, you know, the difference between him and any other wrestler uh, that he could have gotten for this role right. uh, is that Roddy Piper uh, understood. Uh, he compared him to Hulk Hogan where, uh, you know, Piper actually points out that at the time of the commentary, Piper had been the highest grossing. Uh, they had been the highest grossing film, the star wrestler. Right. At, uh, at that time. Which seems like it would be wrong, except Hogan's movies did not draw very well. No. Um, but Hulk Hogan was more recognizable, and he'd been in way more movies. Um, right. But um, uh, Piper and Carpenter actually makes that comparison, saying, but Hogan always played Hulk Hogan. Right. Uh, Roddy Piper actually is playing, playing someone a character, else yeah. in this movie. And he has these moments of of real kind of um, intro, uh, kind of introspection. Right. And um, that tell me that there is something more to this guy, but we never really get what that is. Uh, but at the same time, not as supposed to be a stand in for just about anybody. Right. Um, and he's kind of supposed to be like, you know, the Western character, the man with no name, you know, kind of yeah. character. Where he yeah. just rolls into town and, you know, yeah. sees something wrong and takes care of it. Yeah. Yeah. He, or attempts to at any rate. Right. Yeah. But yeah, he's a very... um. But yeah, there's there's something deeper too, Nada. But mm-hmm. we're never really told what that is. But I think again, he's I I do feel like he's supposed to represent right. the American working man. Yeah. Uh, that deep down, all of us have something else going on. Right. Um. But any one of us are supposed to be, you know, you know, most of us uh, mm-hmm. are not in the one percent. We're not with the aliens. We're with John Nada, right. where we are the. The person who's just trying to get by in a world that in a world that seems that's tailor made to keep you down. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's a brilliant character in that respect. I mean, I think this is one of the finest everyman roles I can think of in in 
cinema history. Oh, for sure, yeah. You know, where this guy could be you, it could be me, it could be anybody. And, could say, and they give him just enough to flesh him out to make him seem like you know, a real person. Like, you yeah. know, um, out, uh, aside from, you know, the acting choices he made, which I think were good choices, I think hmm. anybody who's going to say that, you know, Roddy, Roddy, Roddy Piper um, didn't do a good performance in this is crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because yeah. you, you just watch the movie, like, it's, he's, He's doing real acting work. He's not mm-hmm. being, you know, phoning it in. But um, you know, they mentioned at the beginning, you know, that he came from like, you know, I think it was Denver, Colorado, and he said he'd, you know, been there for ten years and work just dried up, you know. Mm-hmm. So that gives you just enough to 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 build a mental picture that you know this is a guy who's been going from job to job, you know, until everything was all the jobs are gone, you know. Yeah. And then little things, little details like him mentioning he has his own tools. Right. You know, right. like I've been carrying my own tools. Like I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm willing to do my, my job. Like right. I want to work. And they're like, we got nothing for you. And he's like, but I literally can do just anything. work. Yeah, right. yeah. Like, right. I'm actually a skilled worker. Um, and it's a, it's, he does some, uh, he has a sort of, re- of sad resignation. Right. And a little bit of righteous anger that he's tempered yeah. down because he's so desperate. Um, and at the beginning, you know, they he even says that, you know, he, you know, he believes, he still believes in, you know, the American dream. You know? Right. Yeah. You should Where, have a little you know, bit more faith in faith in things. And like, he's right. like I'm all out. Yeah. 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 It's an interesting take. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned it actually, because it, it struck me as odd at the beginning of the film that he would be still right. believing well, he's, that, he, he believes, you know, the the American dream of, you know, you put in an honest day of work and, you know, things are going to shake out for you. Bootstraps. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not going to say I'm against the idea of putting in an honest day's work for an honest day of pay, but, you know, that's not going to guarantee that you get ahead or even get enough to survive yeah. in this in this world. And in fact, it's in fact, it's highly unlikely you ever will. It's right. all luck, yep. you know. Uh, it's why a lot of podcasts, you know, that's what they're hoping for. You know, right. they'll catch on, they'll get hit, they'll get yep. become a hit. They can advertise, they can make some money. Um, we're not about that, but nope. um, but uh, mostly because there's no way in hell we'll ever actually get that big. But um, but if I we couldn't were gonna... imagine doing ad reads, like that would just be. I would only. Well, we've talked about this. The other way right. I would do it. The only way I would want to do it is if we could be, have fun with it. But yeah, right. like and be creative with it. But I don't think I would ever want to do that. I think like the only I came thing... here to kick ass and chew bubble gum. Mm. Brought to you by bubble gum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Big league chew. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. I mean, no. It's it's. I think the only way I would ever really consider it would be like the the Patreon idea, which would right. be if if people like us enough to tip us right. great uh that would be the only way i would ever accept money i don't think i would yeah. want to accept money from a corporate actual actual corporate sponsor um although uh if a corporate sponsor wants to talk right. we'll talk about it but right um but no i mean i think you hit the nail on the head when you kind of said if this becomes work then it's not worth doing and right. but so we've we've uh i don't know if that's admirable or just resignation but i mean we uh we're not looking to to capitalize uh on right. our free exchange of ideas and um 
and I'm not just I'm not ta- saying I'm talking shit about other podcasts who do. I mean, right. I totally get it. I mean, Sam and I both are are I think we're both kind of like you know frustrated artists in our own way, right? And ultimately, you want to get paid. Mm-hmm. You know, like if we write a book, you want that book to get published and make money. You want to right. get paid to write. Um, but yeah, I mean, so we, obviously all of us want that a little bit. Yeah. And all of us, uh, you know, kind of have the glimmer of the, of that dream and, and that American dream. Somewhere, right. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody has that. I win the lottery fantasy, yeah. you know, everybody, because nobody has any money. Right. So, uh, and then the people who have money do dumb shit like buy Twitter. Um, right and ram it into the ground or a sports team or right whatever it is they buy with it um well, it's kind of like you know fry had futurama like i can't remember exactly what he, what he said like um but i think it was he was going on you know about like the the poor the poor better watch out and you know <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. It, was, it was like like what fry you are poor he's like yeah, yeah but one day i might not be and then people like me should watch out watch out, out. yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah when you grow yeah when you uh, yeah it's, i think it's probably it's a staggering epidemic i think of once people get money they start changing right and they start thinking differently so the poor end up being the most generous people you'll ever meet right. and the wealthy miserly and very strange but um yeah i mean well, like so i mean let's talk about uh, i had i had alluded to it earlier i mean obviously mm-hmm. there's the two most famous moments in this film right um the two runaway pop culture moments in they live the first mm-hmm. of course being the bank scene right um roddy piper's famous line of uh, i have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass and i am all out of bubblegum right um i love that roddy piper wrote that line yeah um he had been keeping a notebook of wrestling style one-liners he might say mm-hmm. in a promo uh on him on set right. and so he he borrowed one he ran a few by carpenter and carpenter mm-hmm. said that one and it's lived forever yeah um i actually have i think it's actually behind me sam i think you might be able to see it a little bit uh next to my roddy piper st- uh action figure thing right there is a uh uh Empty bottle of Roddy Rowdy Roddy Piper all out of bubblegum bubblegum flavored soda, <laughs> uh, made by a specialty company here in St. Louis, right? And bubblegum flavored soda, uh, yeah, that doesn't sound very good, but yeah, I, it, was, it was not. Uh, actually, right. I was gonna, I never actually drank it, it was actually knocked off a shelf by a cat, uh-huh. and the bottle actually survived, but the soda, the cap came off right came off so the soda went everywhere that was a pain right. in the ass to clean up but um and my living room smelled like bubble gum for a while but <laughs> um but no i mean that but that's my right. point is it's become a pop culture runaway right. hit line um the, the thing that i noticed this time through that you know i always forget or i didn't notice before i don't know which it is um, hmm. to be honest because if you if you always forget you always forget right <laughs> um, yes is funny. is that you know that famous line is is a faint it's it's he's suddenly realizes he's in way over his head and he doesn't yeah. know what to do or say next. So he just says <laughs> the most ridiculous thing he can. Yeah. Yeah. Come up with. And it makes it even funnier in context, I think. 
I agree. Yeah, he kind of walks in there with a shotgun, thinking he's going to do something, and then realizes. Well, no, he kind of no walks in there. Do. He he runs in there like he doesn't know where he's walked into until he's until he's in there. He's like, that's right. Yeah, you know, he's like, oh <laughs> shit, I'm at a bank, and everybody's freaking out because I have a gun. Uh, you know what the what, thing I noticed do this here, time you know? that I realize I forget every time is actually right before that he fights the cops. Right. Um, in my memory, for whatever reason, those cops were human. I don't know why. Mm. Uh, and they're not. Uh, they're no. full-on members of the alien race. Um, right. For whatever reason, I always remembered it differently. So I was going into this movie with the memory that Roddy Piper... Um, uh, well, actually, this is technically correct. What Nada uh, will kill any of the aliens, but none of the humans, um, which is uh, uh, an odd uh, moralistic uh, viewpoint, I think. But... Uh, because it basically does say like, well, the aliens aren't human, therefore fair game to be shot right. to death, um, which is very uh, anthropocentric, you know, that the, you know, maybe we'll see it. I don't know. I guess a UFO crash somewhere. So in the news today. Right. Did you see that? Uh, that we've been shooting down things. Yeah. Yeah. That there's some sort of like secret cover up happening in like <laughs> somewhere in the Midwest, I guess. Right, and there are people, people, and uh, actually, a press conference was held today where someone said we actually don't know what it is yet. So, right, uh, a lot of people are hoping it's it's the it's the coming of the aliens. It's it's never UFOs, guys. It's never you know actual yeah. aliens. It's always something stupid. Well, yeah, and I mean yeah. it's it's unlikely to be aliens. I think right. Lisa Simpson had it right in the Simpsons, mm-hmm. where she's like the the odds, sheer right. odds of us running into another aliens of another species in the is is astronomical. Um, and or uh, first contact was always one of my favorite mm-hmm. little Star Trek first contact, right? Which says like the spaceship's going over by, but they're not stopping here. It's too primitive. They have right. no interest in in Earth because we're a bunch of monkeys. Like <laughs> right. you know, the Vulcans don't care about dealing with us until they see you've created a warp drive, and then they're like, right. "Hey, the monkeys did something. Let's stop." Um, and then but, if you watch uh, the Enterprise TV show, you realize that the uh, the the Vulcans have spent the intervening years trying to hold us back because they're like, oh, you're just stupid monkeys. Shut up. You yeah, know? right. You probably shouldn't have the stuff you do. Right. <clears throat> yeah, you blow stuff up. But yeah, um, a little sidetrack on the mm-hmm. current events slash aliens. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's an anthropocentric viewpoint where I'm like, well, he's just perfectly flying, plugging anybody that non-human. Right. Um, even though theoretically the humans in that base at the end of that movie are probably just as bad as the aliens are. Oh, for sure. But um, Meg Foster's not an alien, you know? Um, uh, But yeah, I mean like, but the scene is it's, but I remembered it for some reason being like that. He didn't want to like kill the cops because they were, they were human. Uh, And then, you know, I'm like, well, no, I'm way off on that because he outright, he just blows them away, I think. But, Um, I don't. I don't know if the one of them is dead or not, but I mean, yeah. he shoots. He shoots both of them. You know. Yeah, yeah. But it's an interest. It's an interesting bit because I, right. I, for some reason, I remembered what what interested me about that in my memory was the idea that but police officers were dupes, right? Um, and it turns out no, they're just in on it, which makes more sense. Right. Um, you yeah, because later later he has a, he meets another cop and he's that cop's a human and he lets him go. That's right. Yeah, you know. Yeah, just beat your feet or whatever. Beat your feet. To, yeah, right? yeah. And, you're uh, not. You're not one of them. Go. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then he has the awkward line. I don't like that one as much where he, mama don't like tattletales. Right. Shoots the thing down. Yeah. Um, it just, it, it, uh, it seems like there, it seems like a line that was written just because there had to be a line there. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's some fun, there's some fun, like kind of, uh, made up Roddy Piper dialogue, um, which if you are a wrestling fan as I am and grew mm-hmm. up watching wrestling, I think you used to watch wrestling. Yeah. I watched yeah. wrestling when I was, when I was young. Back in so the you 80s. saw, you saw some Roddy Piper. Yeah. 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 For sure. Uh, phenomenal worker. Uh, right. Great professional wrestler, great talker. And on the commentary track, he talks about something that sounds kind of conspiratorial mm. until unless you know your actual wrestling history and you realize he's probably being 110% straight with you. Mm. Uh, when he talks about WrestleMania 3 and getting over with the crowd and they, they right. were trying to torpedo him because he might overshadow Hogan uh, right. and that they didn't want him to do They Live because they didn't want Vince McMahon did not want him to work on They Live because they live might be successful um right. and overshadow Hogan. Um it sounds like bullshit when Roddy Piper says it, but it's probably true. Um, well, I mean just watching, you know, Piper in this and also listening to him in the in the commentary, like I'd say he, he out charismas, you know, Hulk Hogan any day of the week. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. You know, as far as and as far as like actual, you know, wrestling talent, I'd it's been too long since I watched either of them wrestle to say the difference, but I'm sure they were probably at least equally, you know, good at what they did. Oh, Piper was better. Yeah. Piper right. could actually work. Hogan. Uh, I mean, there's, there's rumors and stories of like the Hulk Hogan, Japan work uh, where he actually did some actual wrestling, but for the most part, Hogan right. was a, was the consummate uh, routine man, you know, the oh, okay. five, the, what they call the five moves of doom, mm-hmm. you know, do the same things every match. Piper could actually wrestle. Right. Uh, in fact, he had one a, a very famous match with Bret Hart um, at a SummerSlam, I think, that's considered an all-time great. It's really a great match. Um, Piper was very, very good at what he did and um, and good at a lot of things. Uh, and, then, and then he did a lot of coke. Um, right. That by the time he left WWF, what was called the WWF at the time, uh, he would then spend the most rest of his career kind of bouncing around places, doing random stuff. He would end up patching these up with Vince McMahon. I think he did finish his career in WWE, right. but um, predominantly just doing talking because his knees were, his legs were so shot that he couldn't okay. really work anymore. Um, but also Piper mentions in this commentary about the um, the sad truth of uh, wrestling having the highest suicide rate of any sport. Right. Uh, and it's very sad, but he's absolutely right. He's telling the absolute mm-hmm. truth on that too. The the sheer amount of people who have died of suicide in professional right. wrestling history is really sad. Um, so there are the, a lot of things that Piper would talk about on this commentary that I really really appreciated, right? Uh, from him, and then he would just go nuts, and then it would be yeah. like you know, all right, but um, and Carpenter would indulge him. And right. just let him go, and it's a it's a great commentary. I highly recommend it if you haven't if you have yeah, the Blu Ray sure. of They Live. It's at a home. lot of fun. Yeah, it's almost more fun than the movie. Um, right. I, I really love the commentary. I had a really great time listening to it. Um, and a lot of that comes from Piper. I think you would right. point out you would you would send me a message on uh, on Facebook IM being like, "There's not a useful, there's not a single usable piece of information right in this commentary." But it's a a lot of fun. Yeah, Yeah, it's so much fun because Piper is just out of control on it. Um, 
but and he, but he does say he says so many complimentary things about John Carpenter right. that you can't that are undeniable. I think. I mean, he talks about how great Carpenter is. He echoes a lot of sentiments. A lot of other actors have said that Carpenter is great to work with and right. supportive, and but also a hard nosed and uh, a workhorse. You know, yeah. he expects professionalism from his people, and right. um, but he's also willing to let things go because he also with the, that's the other part we're going to talk about. Obviously, the most the other famous part, mm-hmm. which is like this like twenty minute fight scene. Right in the middle of this movie. How long is it actually? Do we? Do we? It's have about those five figures? minutes. Yeah, it feels like it's twenty minutes. I should. I should have like wrote it's... it down because, like, somewhere, I, somewhere it said said how long it was, but I didn't write it down. But it's about five minutes long. Yeah. I think. Yeah, it's a great. Um, I'm actually just gonna look it up while oh, we're okay. talking. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's a it's a great fight scene. And I guess they spent about two months in John Carpenter's backyard, you know, rehearsing and, and yeah. putting it together. Yep. And um, uh, like, how long does the fight scene in They Live last? I'm typing with one hand, so there right. we go. Six minutes. Six minutes. Yeah. Right. Well, the six minute alley fight from John Carpenter is still one of films' best bros. So yeah, uh, six minute long, which is uh, a very long ridiculous. Time yeah. In film, yeah. Um, I remember actually, uh, you might remember this. I don't know. Mm. They every, uh, they're back in the day. It's probably 92. There was some mm. video company that was releasing these compilation tapes. One of them was like the boogeyman or something. And it was like Freddy Krueger and Jason and stuff. Right. But there was another one that was called ultimate fights. And it was just like famous fight scenes in movies. And I think the final one was just all six minutes of they live right. fight scene. Um, that that's how much this fight scene has lived on. In yeah. cinema history and it's brilliant i mean it's right. an unbelievably great fight scene um but yeah they rehearsed it for months uh apparently mo- they pretty much came up with all of it on their own um piper and david uh piper talks on the commentary talks about how david is a dancer what about uh, jeff jeff amata jeff, yeah, jeff amata had a lot to do with it too yeah but apparently by the end of the take they were just actually hitting each other right because piper was like you just need to hit me Right. Uh, I could take it, you know, I'm a pro wrestler, so I could take it. Um, and, uh, you know, in that he compliments David on his ability to take a little bit of punishment in that scene. Right. Um, where Roddy was like, I've worked with guys in wrestling who couldn't take a hit as well as Keith David could. Um, mm-hmm. And um, it's such a blast of a, of a fight scene, but really what sells it in Piper Quinn's this out in the commentary as well is the moment where they realize they actually are friends right? and they're trying to kill each other. Anyway, uh, when Piper swings the two by four at him right. and smashes the window and then David smashes the beer bottle and not a, not a burst out <laughs> laughing. laughing yep. uh, yeah. Like he's, it's uh, it's so absurd, but it's a great moment because it does remind you these guys actually do like each other. Right. Like they're friends, but they're just beating the living hell out of each other for like six minutes. Right. Uh, until they, as a friend of mine back in high school, I think would put it. So two guys walk into an alley, beat the shit out of each other until they get tired and stop. And I'm right. like, yeah, that's pretty much more or less how it works. Yeah. They just kind of get tired and can't do it anymore. Um, but yeah, I've, I've always liked to, to think that that will be, um, if you and I ever meet at a convention for the first time, that's probably how it's going to go. Right. You know, six minute, six minute reenaction, reenacting of uh, the fight, of the <laughs> they live fight scene. Um, but yeah, 
Um, it's an interesting scene too, because like the, basically the impetus is just put on these glasses and he's like, no, no. Right. And I just don't understand why he just didn't put them on just to shut him up. Um, because he just killed like, you know, a dozen he did kill people. a bunch of cops. Yes. And he's, yeah. he's freaked out about that. You know, yeah. he's yeah. like, you're, you're crazy. Please get away from me. I'm just trying to like, you know, keep my head above water here. Yeah. But I feel like, so I feel like once you start punching each other, I feel right. like at that point I would just be like, all right, fine, I'll put the damn glasses on. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's what I would do. But yeah, you know, he he's you know, once they start hitting each other, I think he gets mad and they just both forget what they're doing and just you know uh, that's yeah. They're trying I mean, to win it, the fight. Yeah, I think that's what's interesting about the fight is that they don't even know what they're fighting up fighting about halfway through. Right. Yeah. Um it just keeps going. And it just keeps getting worse. I mean, by the time they're finally just Yeah. Like wailing on each other's nut sacks. It's right. like, um, which is another favorite. Uh, when Roddy Bay goes for the low blow and he stops him, you dirty motherfucker. Right. <laughs> and then he's laugh. the one who, who hits him in the nuts repeatedly, you know, repeatedly, uh, four times, yeah. I think. He just yeah. does the knee drop into the into right. the crotch for, and uh, it's such a brutal fight. Yeah. Um, but it's and it's undeniable. It's it's uh, it's justifiably famous. Uh, it's been satirized so many times. Um, right. One of the uh, one of the times in my life where I felt the absolute worst laughing at something was South Park. Right. Uh, with Timmy and Jimmy. Right. Uh, having the well, they do. I think that was six minutes too. I think South yeah, Park went the did, whole distance. They did yeah. beat for beat. You know? Beat for beat of uh, the kid in a wheelchair and the kid with uh, crutches beating each other up for six minutes um and i laughed the whole time mm -hmm. and i felt really horrible about it afterwards but i laughed the whole time um but yeah it's been satirized so many times and it's it's for a good reason it's such a phenomenal scene um it, it, to the point where i like i said i'm not a, necessarily a huge fan of they live but i'm a huge fan of that fight right so and fight scenes are boring more often than not when I get older, yeah. do, you, do you, do you feel that way too? Once you're, now that you're a little older and you watch stuff and you're like, wow, these fight scenes are kind of dull. Um, I, I've always thought a lot of fight scenes were dull. Um, I've always been a fan of like, you know, the martial arts movies where like they're actually, there's a choreography to them and there's a dance like quality to it. Yeah. Um, just watching people punch each other in a realistic manner is, is often boring to me. I agree. It's funny actually coming to think of it. That's um, why I prefer professional wrestling, and I right. can't get into UFC. Uh, okay. Is yeah, like you know, I'm like wrestling has this story. It's another form of fiction, really. I actually right. had a, a friend of mine ask me this when I was in college doing classes. We were talking about like you know Ingmar Bergman or something, right? And she said, "So okay, you like Ingmar Bergman? You read, you know, uh, you you've read Dostoevsky, right? Why wrestling?" And I'm like, right. it's just another form of fiction. And she stopped and looked at me. She stopped for a second, kind of chewed on it and said, mm -hmm. that's actually the greatest answer I've ever heard. Right. Um, like it's because that's what it is. It's just another yeah. form of fiction. In fact, it's fiction boiled down to its simplest form, in my opinion. Right. Um, there's not a lot of we of uh, reinventing the wheel right. in professional wrestling. Everything basically is the same seven or eight stories, really. Um, but what makes it work and what makes the actual physical uh, performance aspect of mm -hmm. professional wrestling is the performance aspect. It's the idea right. that you know, these moves don't make any real logical sense. Um, 
if you're going to try to win a fight, you don't go up to the top rope and jump off. Like that wouldn't right. make any sense. You start punching them until they stop moving. Um, but no, you when we go up and do a backflip, right. that'll somehow will hurt that'll beat more. him. Yeah, yeah, that'll hurt more than me just kicking him in the face. Um, but that's why I like it, you know. And I had some. I knew a guy who had the opposite reaction. He was a big UFC fan. And he couldn't get into wrestling. Uh, okay. Uh, as far as the in ring stuff, because he was like, right. "Well, none of this makes sense." Um, although he ended up coming around and deciding he really liked it because he liked the the you know operatics of it right end up liking the storylines you know and thinking that was fun but i'm like yeah that's kind of what's fun about it is you can kind of predict its outcome um or or you can try to predict its outcome you might be wrong because it is a story so sometimes the story doesn't go where you think it's going to go but actual fighting um i had i tried to get into usc i remember a friend of mine being really into it and he would show Mm -hmm. me fights and sometimes they were interesting um people get legitimately hurt too often in ufc for me to like you know like yeah i know i know when it was first taken off like you know people would try to get me to watch it like look at this this guy totally breaks this guy's arm i'm like i don't want to see that yeah <laughs> that doesn't interest me yeah <laughs> no see some poor bastard get his arm broken you know i mean I, fracture i remember seeing a really brutal fight um that actually was really entertaining to watch but mm-hmm. uh and i think it was like the it was the first the reality show they did at one point where they were picking the next ultimate fighter or whatever. Right. And the finals of it were these two guys who were both really wanted that contract and they fought bell to bell and just brutalized each other. Right. And it, it was actually really entertaining because it actually was almost it. They ended up telling a story without ever really meaning to like, it was very much like watching Rocky Balboa fight Apollo Creed. Um, However, it was not comfortable to watch. Right. Uh, by the end of it, both men looked like hamburger, um, and they just brutalized each other. Yeah. The the drama of the fight was entertaining, but at the same time, I'm like, these guys are trying to kill each other. Right. I mean, and it's, box, you know, boxing is too real for me. And, yeah. You know, that's tame compared to UFC. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always, I, I, when I did watch wrestling, and I tried, and I tried to get into it as an adult, like, like the. The actual fights were the parts mm-hmm. that I liked because you know because of the the talent on display, mm-hmm. not because I'm watching two people try to kill each other. Right, know? right. Yeah, it's really uncomfortable to watch. As I mean, I, I don't know if you ever witnessed a real fight in real life. They're not fun yeah. to watch. Um, no. You know they they're really uncomfortable and um, and it, it's not fun. But somehow again, like they live with that sort of choreographed uh story even though like the story kind of falls apart through most of the actual fight uh right. it's still entertaining but um i think it kind of works in the same reason why we could still watch roddy piper blow away people at the end of the movie right we know it isn't real but and there's but some, yeah. something fun about the fact that like you know they just spent the last six minutes trying to kill each other and then they both go and get a hotel room together not yeah. Not that anything, you know, sexual happens, but just like that they're like, okay, well, we're back to being friends. You know? We are back to being friends immediately afterwards. Yeah. Um, yeah, that Nada and that Nada, he was the only that the whole reason for the fight is Nada, he's the only one that Nada can trust. Right. Like he wants to, he needs to talk to somebody. Right. Uh, and this is the only guy he likes, you know, the only yeah. guy he trusts. Um, there's a, a lot to that relationship that um goes unsaid in the right. film but it's two men that uh and actually the carpenter talked about that in the commentary as well where he sent mm-hmm. them off for the day in character right as an exercise 
and they hung out and they came back and Piper said, we didn't actually have to talk very much. Right. And that's a, a fascinating thing to be like, our characters actually felt pretty comfortable with each other to the point where we didn't really have to have conversations. Um, right. We we're just kind of being, you know, being, yeah, I think that was the word he used. Um, right. And that's, uh, that's extraordinary. I think that it's, um, uh, and I, to the point where I find um, Meg Foster's involvement a little bit distracting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that scene doesn't really go anywhere. No. Uh, when Roddy encounters her and takes her back and they're like, I guess she's supposed to be a love interest, but not really. Yeah, it never quite comes together for her no. character. No, just that he she shows up again later at the resistance movement and he's right. like, oh, you made it. You're here. But um. It, but it was like we had i guess we have a relationship but in reality right. it was just you i took you hostage and then you hit me with a vase and i fell out a window like right you know that weird this, recognition this means moment. i have to trust you you know yeah that's a weird recognition moment for them like oh right. i kind of know you um but i'm like yeah but i mean i get it like they had each to other have some, they had to have somebody you know undercover at you know at the resistance meeting who was already established but like yeah. that they didn't take they didn't establish her very well or in a, in a very good way. I don't think, you know, no, if if they had given her maybe like one more scene, they probably could have, you know, fleshed her out enough for us to give a shit. Yeah. We really don't. Yeah. And I mean, it's also, it's also Meg Foster and she's evil and everything. Right. I mean, like um, we, we talked about her with Leviathan. Right. Um, You know, she played evil Lynn, I think in, uh, Mm -hmm. Masters of the Universe. Uh, she just looks like an evil person. Uh, right. I, I'm sure she's very nice, but uh, as that way of character actors kind of becoming something, I mean, right. you look at one look at Meg Foster, be like, well, she's clearly a bad guy. <laughs> right. um, you know, it's uh, there's no reason we would trust her as an audience member, let alone no. uh, Nada trusting her. And like, it's a it's an awkward shoehorned relationship that doesn't quite connect. Right. Um, and it it's um but I mean it's there. And I think she's good. I mean, she's doing a good job with what little she's oh, doing. Oh yeah, yeah. But it's nothing against her as an actress, no. No, no. It's just uh, one of those script problems that sometimes pops up, I think. Right. In uh it feels like filler to me. Right. Like we don't have enough to do. Um and uh which I guess makes sense because they live is a, a very lean movie. This right. is an exceptionally lean film. Um, one of the leanest I can think of. Uh, there's actually very little actual plot to speak of. Um, it's a high concept, but it's not. Right. There's not a lot of story going on here. You know, it's just two guys stumble upon alien conspiracy and then decide to go shoot the alien right. conspiracy. Yeah, right. Um, <clears throat> you know, so the only thing the only thing the second act has to do is bridge the gap between discovery and combat. Right. Um. However, the end of the first act is is great, um, and I don't think it's talked about enough. Which is the the attack on the uh, commune, right? Almost commune. Uh, and in the commentary track, Piper talks about witnessing that type of event mm-hmm. firsthand, and how like you know it kind of kind of gave him some like PTSD shocks right. uh, while filming, um, which some of which is probably Piper running his mouth, but some of it's probably true. Right. Um, but it's still a true concept. Uh, but there's something very, and it's something that happens now. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we hear stories today about like 10 cities being demolished by police. 
I actually um, saw that happening yeah. in uh, Las Vegas when we went to Vegas. Oh, really? We were driving. We were driving back late at night, and you know, we we drove past a, a scene of cops tearing down a you know a small tent city. You know, and it was like, like you motherfuckers. Right. Yeah. And I wanted wanted to run my car off the road in it, but you know, I didn't because I'm a responsible adult, and I said, yeah screamed you motherfuckers and went on with my day because that's you know how we survive in the society exactly if you had yep. done if you had done that you may have been doing the right thing but it will ultimately only hurt you in the end and right. therefore you have to make that call it's um it's a difficult thing to see injustice and realize that you'd have to risk everything to do it and that's right. why why i've said this many times that we're well we're way overdue for revolution I think in our society, but we won't do it because think about what you're giving up. Right. You know, can't go see the flash next no. month, you know, if you're in prison. Right. Because you did the right thing, but you lose everything, uh, you know, and it takes a certain amount of, and the system goes on, you know, yeah. Without missing and you, you, and you almost certainly won't win. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's Les Miserables all over again, where the, the barricade, you know, the barricade of freedom and the, you know, ultimately right. the French Revolution did kind of win. But, you know, the people who were at that barricade didn't live to see it. Right. You know, they were all murdered by cops, except Jean Valjean. Right. And Marius, because Jean, Jean Valjean saves Marius. But um, unless you're the main character, mm-hmm. that moment of rebellion ain't going to end well for you. No. And most of us don't have the luxury of being the main character. No. So we don't have the plot armor. Yeah. And Nada didn't have the plot armor. No. You know, they live as no plot armor. Uh, the, all of our heroes die. Um, they do succeed, uh, right. leading to a, a really great final moment in the picture. But, uh, you know, hey, baby, what's going on? Or whatever right. it is. Uh, hey, baby, what's wrong? Um, and also, the only. Uh, Fresh shot in the movie. By the way, did you notice in the setup for that uh, mm-hmm. who, who they're talking about on the TV screen? Yeah, George Romero. And George Romero and John Carpenter. Carpenter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I thought it was very clever. I, I, it made me laugh because I was yeah, like, well, totally there it goes. I forgot about that. Yep. Yeah. But they're talking about the, the how uh, disgusting and excess, harmful right. yeah, of George Romero and John Carpenter in society. Um, right. I love that John Carpenter put his own name in it. Right. But. Um, but I love that George was mentioned as well as the other firebrand. You know, they were uh, good friends in the eighties, which, you know, makes yeah. me sad to think that they never got to do anything together, you know? Right. Anything where they teamed up and, you know, say one produced the other person's movie or something like that. Very true. Yeah. You think they would have found a way to do that. Yeah. Right. Um, but I mean, neither of them were, were all that good at getting, you know, successful movies made. So very true. Yeah. Well, when we did Invasion of the Pockets, we did um uh body bags, which was Carpenter teaming up with Toby Hooper. Right. Um and um yeah, it was just Toby Hooper, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, they tried to get more people and it's just it didn't just work out. out being, yep. Yeah. And I think the closest they ever got to probably working on a similar project was they both in did Masters of Horror episodes. But right. uh so they have the McGarris connection. Um, no, Romero didn't do a Masters of Horror episode. He didn't do any ever. No, no. Huh. Okay. I don't know. I don't know why, but he didn't. Yeah, that's odd. You'd think he would have. Right. Yeah. Well, I don't Carpenter think did like two of them, didn't he? I think so. He had one for each yeah. season, I believe. Right. Yeah, and I don't think actually, I don't think um, Craven did any either. No. 
in that uh, in that show. Everybody else did, mm-hmm. but um, but yeah, no, I think you might be right. Then George Romero, I swear there was one with George Romero, but yeah, uh, I guess not. No, I mean, uh, I, maybe I'm confusing. I think Joe Dante did one with zombies. So that's probably what right. I'm thinking. Yeah, there was like uh, Dance of the Dead or something like that that you might be thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's Joe Dante, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. I think All so. Right. Yeah, that maybe that's what I'm thinking of. But no, yeah, they, they never worked together, which is really kind of right. strange. Yeah. I mean, they were all buddies, all the Masters of Horror. Right. All, from what I understand, all got along um, and would would talk to each other. But yeah, they never worked together. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, th- I just like that there was that connection in this movie that both guys were mentioned in a movie, an anti-capitalist movie where the... right. The powers that be would be would look at two filmmakers as being a problem. It would be George Romero and John Carpenter. Yeah, you know, for sure. Uh, who aren't aren't friends of the capitalist regime. Um, anything else you want to cover? Um, I, I found it interesting this time through that um, that I, I it's not that I never noticed it, but I usually like don't think about it that much. Is how much the average. Uh, I don't know what you want to call them. I, they're called in the script ghouls. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess we'll go, we'll call them ghouls. Um, sure. The aliens. Yeah. Um, how much the a- average ghoul um, is also a slave to the system in this film? Yeah. I mean, they're, like you said, they were, they're gentrifying earth, but at the same time, they're have you know, they're in relationships with humans, uh, both, you know, friendly ones and, and romantic ones. And, mm-hmm they're reading the same newspapers as us with the same you know i noticed that too undertones you know yeah it's the news that the newsstand scene yeah right. that guy picks up a newspaper and i was like that's interesting why is he reading it right if all and it he, says is obey yeah he must be able to see the newsprint as well you know or something but, one would think so yeah right so yeah. it's like where does where's the line drawn you know where who are are all these fools you know the one percent or is there a working class school you know in in there as well well they call earth their third world right which i thought was interesting as well uh they're like this is an underdeveloped country for them mm-hmm. so that that kind of leans into that direction of what you're talking about which is yeah i wonder if this is is this the unwanted members of their species who are kind of hanging right. out here like uh i mean can't... there's no there's no homeless school um no there's no underclass schools, um, <clears throat> but the lowest of them are like middle management. So there's there's obviously an advantage to be you know just being one of them. Yeah. But are they you know are they or aren't they a slave to the same system as, as us? You know is is an interesting question that I think the film posits but never really answers. Yeah. Yeah, and then they do show um, like it it, it seems to be a, a a a positive thing to get off too. Like right. to get on the the teleport platform they have in the uh, right. like one sci-fi effect Carpenter puts into the sci-fi film, right. um, or it seems to be something that's important to do. Um, you know, it, it's a privilege to do. Right. Um, that's what I mean. Is like when they call it the third world, and they're like, yeah, obviously, like, I mean, yes, there's benefits to being there, but it's benefits in the doomed society. It's it's benefits in third world. Um. It's like the uh, Irish immigrants back in, you know, right. You know, hundred years ago, a couple hundred years ago, whatever it was, where it was, you know, the only way to get an opportunity was to go to America 
and you right. stake out your claim. Uh, it worked out for some of them. Some of them it didn't. Um, is that is, is I wonder if there's like another story that's happening that we're not seeing in which these are the struggling members right. of that species. You know that they're like, well, I can't get a great job. If they, are they the John Nadas of their civilization? Right. You know, I I can't get a job on Homeworld. Only the best can get a job on Homeworld. I can go to Earth right. and. I can be a better. middle management, yeah, I can yeah. Be an office manager. And maybe I can work my way up to getting back right. home. Um it's uh it's an interesting thing to think of. I hadn't really thought of that until you mentioned it, but yeah. And there's that's... and there's still a servant class amongst the, you know, people who are in on the conspiracy because, you know, they have this this big gala and they're showing, you know, a human, you know, tending bar or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. Um, he's got a bunch of drinks and they got waiter waiters walking around and it's like well, they know about the conspiracy. Yeah, because they're here hearing it right now. Yeah, um, yeah. But they're still just you know waiters or barkeeps. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a cop, yeah. right? We see well, that there are yeah. two cops that are members of that species, and you don't then have we to see go one that whole, isn't. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna have to go a whole long way for me to say that a cop is you know a, a traitor to their race. <laughs> no, no. But. Uh, although it's what, their social class, they're a traitor too. I should say. But. Yeah. Although we don't know if that cop was actually aware of anything or not. Right. Um, but there is interest. It is interesting to note, however, that two of the cops are right. members of that species. So uh, clearly, some of them are taking jobs that aren't as high glamorous. Right. Yeah. There are certainly members of their species that are actually working. Um, right. I, I I wonder if if the cops. Um, and we never get to see. Maybe that's on purpose. We never get to see how many of the of you know the cool cops there are, like in the scenes where you know they're raiding the camp, raiding stuff the camp, like that. Yeah. Um, or or in the big you know shootout at the end. Um, but you know there's there's you know there's also security force mm-hmm. amongst amongst the things. So I. They might be part of the military or something is what I'm trying to get at. Okay. Yeah. Well, we also don't see there's a, a brief scene mm-hmm. where after the destruction of the um, resistance movement, right. the second attack, um, we see some security guards sort of high-fiving and saying, it's a, this is a win for us. Um, right. And there is something to the idea of, um, it's something that's been memed many times lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the general idea of, the best, the the most powerful thing capitalism ever managed to do was convince the middle class that the poor are taking their resources. Right. Uh, when in reality, the you know, like the the cartoon of uh, the rich guy with a pile of cookies. Right. Hey, that guy's a, trying to get your cookie. Yeah, that guy's trying to get your cookie. Uh, you know, I you know, he's got a pile of them. Right. Um, you know that they they that one of the best weapons capitalism has is the ability to make you think that the the enemy isn't them right so i wonder if there's something to that effect as well happening in they live you know if that's some sort of commentary of you know the the security workforce could have been convinced that the bad guys are actually the resistance and i'm um, sure they are i mean yeah john carpenter's you know smart enough to Mm -hmm. you know have thought that out yeah that you know a lot of these you know a lot of the people who you know are in like law enforcement in, in this world and, and in our world mm-hmm. uh, 
see themselves as you know the force that's I don't know keeping the keeping the wolves away from the sheep at least. Yeah. Well, in reality, what they're doing is keeping the sheep docile. Yeah. Right. And under control. Um, you know, it's um, you know, the police are a weapon uh, right. against the poor, not uh, not the other way around. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to think about. I mean, obviously, like I think uh, one of the uh, one of the best things this movie is able to do is like when Buck Flowers is like, "Hi, I betrayed everybody, right?" And now I'm wealthy. But I mean, I think it's, to some degree you can sympathize with him, you know, yeah. where we like, well, you're a homeless guy living in a camp. Right. You get that opportunity, uh, you know. Uh, I don't know how many of us would say yes, you know, probably right. more than we would like to admit. Um, yeah. You know, if you're especially if you're in a situation like he is, where he has you know nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Literally nothing. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's hard to hard to to say. Uh, unabashedly that i hate that guy you know i'm like no i i get it you know i can sympathize with that because this is a guy when we meet him he's sitting in a you know a chair in this encampment keeping warm by a a, you know oil drum fire right and nobody you know know, nobody in the world cares about him or what happens to him yeah if he had had you know a, a steady job and a wife and two kids you know i might feel differently about his decision but yeah. you know it's it's hard to not see at least the thought process that went into him saying okay well i'm going to join up with these people yeah yeah and yeah i might have to betray some some people that have been kind to me but right um they're going to lose anyway you right. know like it's it's all uh you know and they could they could give in too you know, right. but they they're going to be stubborn and not give in. So, like you know, you, there's a, a lot of mental gymnastics that go into it, but it's all very relatable mental gymnastics. Mm-hmm. It's the type of mental gymnastics we go through ourselves every day, right? Uh, you know, you went through it when you saw you know cops ripping apart a, a tent, tent city, right. you know, or like I was talking about, like you know, do you want to go see Ezra Miller in the Flash? You don't, but right. you're gonna, yeah. Uh, you know, most of us will. Um, that, uh, you know, ultimately these things only go so far until right. you give, until you learn what you can live with and you'll tell yourself a lot of, and rationalize a lot of things just to get there. But, which is, I think what they live really is, is this, this level of rationalization of right. something that is irrational. And I think it's a, it's a very powerful film, yeah. um, as silly and over the top as it is, uh, there's a lot of ideas here that really do resonate well. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very cynical film, but it's not nihilistic, you know? And I think that's what makes all the difference. It's not, you know, yeah, it has something to say and it it believes in something and it's, you know, yeah, it's not a happy message, but it's, it's a message nonetheless. Well, heroes still, they score a win. At the end of this picture, right. I mean, they do um, kind of like the ending of the howling, you know, where yeah. uh, I don't know how effective ultimately it will be, but they, they struck a blow at any rate. And that's uh, that's something, you know, that and that's uh, sort of what rebellion is. It's never going to be a win. You're never going to solve. We're never right. going to solve capitalism. You no. know, the best we can do is recognize it and and try to win our little victories where we can. Right. Uh, but try to slowly move society away from it as much as we can, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So anything else you want to cover on They Live? Uh, you covered everything? No, you know, just that uh, socialism is the future. <laughs> it is. I, I agree. Um, I watched way know. too much Star Trek to believe yeah. it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, that's another thing that's come up lately with people talking about the alien thing and whether or not there's a, you know, a UFO crashed somewhere right. here is, you know, uh, that fiction has always taught us that the revelation of the existence of other species would unite us in some fashion. Right. Um, and it depends on the fiction you're absorbing, uh, mm-hmm. how that works. I mean, like right. there's the Star War, there's the Star Trek socialist we're right. going to better mankind and go out and see, you know, and discover things in cosmos or there's the independence day. Well, we'll rise up and fight them. Right. Um, you know, it's, um, and I think probably the latter is probably more likely than the former, but yeah. as sad as it is that we'll be like, well, aliens, well, the military, the term. Yeah. yeah. Military industrial complex will be very happy. You right. know? Well, now we have another enemy to yeah. fight. <laughs> um quick let's build technology so we can go shoot them you know right. it's um but of course it, it it could end up working out i mean if you want to you know most of the serious stuff written on the uh discovery of alien species is not optimistic i mean no. most of it is very like uh stephen hawking mentioning like you know it would ostensibly be um you move into a house and you find it's invested with termites do you mm-hmm. stop and talk to the termites or do you call right. the exterminator? Um, we probably shouldn't want to meet a, a species advanced enough to travel the stars because right. they probably will just exterminate us, which is what class? Colonialism. Colonialism right. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's our, uh, yep. it's been a very socially conscious episode of uh, yeah. the Devil's Ball this week. Yeah. You know, I figured, I figured this would be the peak of of our talking about social class during this month, I figured this would probably be the one that got the most conversation. I think I was right so far. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, our film next week is more, is more way more social right. uh, than our, than this, which is um, systemic. Right. Like they live as a, a movie about systemic power. Right. Uh, in capitalism. Our next film society, Brian Yuzna's film is way more about the the uh the micro lens versus the right. macro the, lens yeah the so, granular yeah 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 um which will be a fun conversation as well i haven't seen that movie oh, in yeah. forever uh it's, and that's such a weird fucking movie it really is and, um yeah and a gross movie it's, and a gross <laughs> movie um yeah i remember watching it for the first time being like, this is one of the grossest things i've ever seen right but yeah it's um but that'll be next week so that'll be yep. fun all right. Well, um, there's nothing else. I guess I'll take us on out of here. Um, just wanted to say once again um, that they live is not a true story. Uh, it's not about the Jews. It's not about reptilian alien overlords actually existing. It's a, it's a parable, and if you take it as you know verifiable fact, then you need to get your head examined. Mm-hmm. Um, so please, please don't don't add us with any other opinions. You know we don't want to hear it yes <laughs> if if you think this is this movie is, is a true story then you know i don't know what to do for you right um and with that but we want to thank you for listening anyways mm-hmm. um and anybody who does not agree who agrees with us that this is not a true story uh thank you for listening as well 
remember to watch out for each other. It's been a weird couple of years. Uh, it's still have well, we're two months into 2023, and it still feels like something's off mm -hmm. with the world. Yep. So, anyways, watch out for each other. Um, you know, you can be somebody's nada. You can, you know, <laughs> if you really try. Uh, with that, just want to say thank you. Uh, remember to be kind. Rewind, but mostly be kind. Thanks. Oh,